Everybody rise! Everybody rise if you can! When you hear the music, when you hear the cymbals and the lyre and the flute and the piano, you will bow down to the idol, to the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has built. If you do not bow down, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace and perish forever. I am so glad nobody bowed. That's awesome. I'm thinking, what am I going to do if they all hit the ground? Um, you may be seated. Um, I want to just mention something that um, we didn't mention before. Please pray for Carl Pingel. Uh, he's in the hospital. His surgery went well, but please pray for him. Um, you know, I've been speaking for a long time, and I usually don't say um, and two weeks ago I preached and I listened to the message and I kept saying, um, 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 um. So I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum today. Um, I want to tell you the story. <laughs> that wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> I want to tell you the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this gold statue, gigantic, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and he wants everyone to bow down to it. And we see in, da that's Daniel 3, we see in Daniel 1 and Daniel 2, we see the king. We see how God, our God, your God, is working in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is a tyrant. He's a murderer. He's horrible. He'll cut your head off just because he wants to. And yet God is working in his life. We see that God takes King Nebuchadnezzar to come into Judah, into God's people, because they are rebellious. And God's going to punish them. So he uses King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and to take over the nation. And to take God's chosen people. And we see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are the ones that he takes with other ones. But he usually takes the choice, the best of the best. And we see he does this and he lets them keep their gods. He says, you can keep your gods. It's a good plan. God gave Nebuchadnezzar wisdom. To know that if the people were able to keep their gods and worship the gods they wanted to, then they would be more content. So we see this happening. But right away, the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel is very evident. Their faith that they will not serve other gods, that they will stand strong. The king says, eat my food. And they say, no. And it's an amazing story where Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they pray, they don't eat the food, and God blesses them. There's a, a master of the guard there that's worried. That he's like, if, if I let you do this, I'm dead. The king will cut my head off. But Daniel has favor from God, and he says, give us 10 days. Just give us 10 days. And if we look better by just drinking water and eating vegetables than eating the king's food, then I know it's going to go well. Please do this for me. So he does. And you know the story. It works out well. But that's just the beginning of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Now we move on, and you have to excuse me, on top of saying, um, I get very thirsty. And you probably don't see Pastor do this much, but sorry. I was panicking before I lost my water. <laughs> just see me, I was like crawling underneath the pew. Um, so, um, we see that 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are being used by God. And we also see God using King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's not letting King Nebuchadnezzar go. And what he does is he gives King Nebuchadnezzar a dream, a dream that really frightens him, and he doesn't understand it. So what he does, he knows he has people who serve him. They're lawyers. They're the civil servants of the day. They're, they're the people that really want to keep their job, and they're afraid they'll do anything. They're hypocrites. They're uh, people like me at work. I work at a bank, and anytime my boss walks in the room, I stand up straight, and I'll pretty much do anything he says. And these are the guys, these are the women who are standing there, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, I have a dream. I had a dream, and it disturbed me. But I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You tell me what the dream is. And then you interpret it. And they say to him, nobody can do this. There's not one person in the world that can do this, and it angers the king. So he said, well, I'm going to cut everyone's head off. You're all going to die if you don't tell me, and tell me what the dream is and interpret the dream. So the guards go to Daniel, Shirak, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they go to kill them. But Daniel said, well, just give me an audience with the king. So he gets an audience with the king. And the king gives them a little time, and Daniel goes and he prays with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they pray to God, and God answers him. And God gives them the dream and gives them the interpretation. But Daniel does an amazing thing here. When Daniel comes to the king, he doesn't say, Hey, king, look at me. I'm awesome. I got your answer. He says, God gave me the answer. My God, Yahweh, Jehovah, told me the dream. He told me what it is. But do me a favor, don't kill these other people. Please save them. So we see here the amazing faith of Daniel, that God working in his life. And the king says, okay, tell me the dream. And Daniel tells him that the, you saw a huge statue, it had a head of gold, and it had silver for a breastplate and for arms, and there was clay and there was bronze, and it, it represented all the kingdoms. And yet there was this stone that was carved out, a kingdom that's everlasting, that came and knocked down the whole statue, and it crumbled. Do you know what the king did? All he heard was, I am the head of gold. That's all he heard. Everything else Daniel pretty much said to him, he really didn't listen. And we'll see that a little bit as we move ahead. And then all of a sudden, the king praises God. Well, thank you. Your God is great. But all he does is take our God, and he puts him on a list. You know anybody like that? That they take, yes, I believe in God, but there's all these other gods, and he just puts them on the list with the other gods. He doesn't really commit his life to God. He just puts it on a list, like I said. And he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. But then we get to the point where I had you all stand, and um, he created this gigantic statue. Again, as it was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, it was without the platform, the size of the Statue of Liberty. Liberty. That's how big it was. So we, we get here, and all the, um, all the rulers come, and they stand in front of the statue. And it's a picture you have to read. When you go home, just read it. They, and they repeat their names twice. It's just like they all come, and they just stand there, just waiting. And that's a picture of people just doing what they're told to do. But we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not like that. They have such faith that I wish I had. I wish I had the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, go ahead, do whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter. And we see that happen here. And as you know in your life, you probably have people that get jealous 
and you don't understand why, and I don't understand this, because the people that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel saved by praying to God that we just learned about are the ones that go running to the king. And when they're supposed to bow down, everybody bows, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing tall. They will not bow. But these people run to the king and say, King, do you remember, do you remember what you said, that if anyone doesn't bow down, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and die. Do, do you remember that, O king, O mighty one? And the king says, yes, I remember that. He said, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the people that you promoted, well, they didn't bow. Now the king gets angry, furious, and he calls them in. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true? And they say, yes, it's true. The king gets angry, but it's an amazing thing here. He, there is a little grace and mercy he gives them a second chance. He says to them, you know what? It's all wiped away. All you need to do is bow. All you need to do is bow, and all is forgiven. And then he says this. This is a true picture of a heart without God. What God will be able to deliver you out of my hand? That's what the king says. And at that moment, I believe he set him up. The king set him up himself up for what's happening next. What God will deliver you out of my hand? He's saying, I am God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say just the most amazing thing as well. We don't need to give you an answer. God will save us. God will save us. But even if he does not, it does not matter. Throw us into the furnace. Go ahead. With that, the king got such a rage, he was so angry, his face, the Bible says, was distorted. That's how angry he was. And he does a stupid thing. Well, turn up the furnace seven times hotter. If you want to hurt somebody in a fire, I don't know why I know this, but you'd want to roast them. You really wouldn't want to turn up the flames. Because what happens when you turn up the flames seven times hotter? They're incinerated instantly. Just like the guards that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all bound up, and they took them and they threw them in, and they were dead like that. And they were thrown into the fire. And the furnace probably was something where the king was able to be elevated and to be able to look down inside. And he was looking inside, and immediately the king jumped up and said, Hey, wasn't there three guys in there? Yes, O oh mighty majesty king, yes, there was three. He said, But I see four, and one of them looks like a god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come here, come out. And I'm always amazed that they listened to him. I would have been like, ah, forget you. We're having fun. They come out, and they obey him. They come out, and, and everybody's around them, and nothing sins. There's no hair that sins. There's no clothes that sins. The only thing that sins is the ropes that were on their hand. And now they are free. And the king does it again. Oh, your God is great. And he puts him again on that list. And you know his heart hasn't changed because at the end of what he says, you know what he says? If anyone says anything about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will cut them in pieces and destroy them forever. Not exactly something that, you know, if you have God in your heart and you love God, it's not exactly something that you're going to say. So right there you know. Now for the remaining part of our message this morning. I have three quick points, and I'm probably lying to you because they're probably not all that quick, but I want to say they're quick. Faith. Our faith. 
our strong faith that God gives us, we need to be looking to God. We need to be relying on God, and we need to be glorifying God. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So I'm going to give you three quick points, as I said. I'm going to take a water break and say, um. Okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds his statue. And I have to say, I've never, I don't think, my kids will probably tell you I have, but I don't think I've ever done a selfie. I don't think I have. But probably today you'll see it on Facebook. Here's my dad's selfie. But I don't think I have. King Nebuchadnezzar, thousands of years ago, made the biggest selfie there's ever been. It's not new, right? It's not new. But what he was saying was, my statue is all gold. My head is the head of gold, but I want to be God, so it's all gold. And my kingdom will last forever. That's what he was saying to everybody. You know, there's a true story, and I want to say his name. He's a soccer player. I'm sorry. It's, I'm just going to say Zoltan. And Robert, whatever. I'm sorry. I can't pronounce it. But anyway, he's a soccer player. This is a true story. He was addressing uh, elementary kids' schools in the area of being modest. So I don't know if he thought he was being funny, but what he said was, I am Zoltan. I am the east. I am the west. I am the north. I am the south. I am Zoltan. Imagine that. Do you know anybody like that? Do you live with anybody like that? I have to smile because I get like that sometimes. Now, I'm going to pick on some people here. It's okay. Nobody here. Don't worry about that. Um, Joel Osteen's wife, my, my daughter, showed me a clip. He was addressing, she was addressing and speaking to thousands and thousands of people. And she said something like, we don't come to church for God. We come to church for ourselves to be happy. That is exactly what we're looking at with the king. That's what we're looking at with other people. And then I have to be honest with you. I was riding my bike the other morning. And I have to be honest, because I'm picking on Zoltan, I'm picking on Joel Osteen's wife, I'm riding my bike, and I'm creating this sermon, and I'm like, this is great! And I'm like, all of a sudden, hit. Mark, look at who you look to. The people, the titles, the money, the home, the cars, your wife, your children, praises. You're not looking to me. You're looking to everything else besides looking at me. So I could pick on people, but I am the worst offender. And we have to understand when you're dealing with God, it's a personal relationship, and you have to deal with God. And he, ask him to look at your heart and to search your heart and to know that you're a great sinner and he is a great God. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what we need to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. This morning I heard a song. It said, I don't need anything else but Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do in the world that we live in, but it's what we need. I have an inner ear disease. It's called Meniere's. And the, one of the symptoms is that I get um, vertigo, bad vertigo, like Tim had. We had to go to the hospital. And I've done that as well. I had to go to the hospital. And it makes you, the best I can describe it to you is if you've ever been to an amusement park and they used to have this thing. They probably did away with it because I'm old, but it was called a rotor. 
and you would sit up against the wall, and it would spin around, and the floor would drop out, and your feet would dangle. That's the best way I could describe it to you. You just want to throw up. And you pay for the ride, too. But the thing that they told me was that with my Meniere's, if you're at work and you can't drive, get a focal point and look at something. Just stare at one thing. And I would sit at my desk for hours. Kind of job I can, I could do that. And I sit at my desk and I stare like this, and everything else, the vertigo, the room, everything else is secondary. And that's what happens when we focal, our focal point is Jesus. And we, we have Jesus at the center of our life. Everything else should be secondary. I love hymns. I won't read the whole thing, but it says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Nor be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Recently, Linda and I and our family had a young man come into our family, and he didn't know the Lord. And recently he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Praise God. And I just want, he gave me permission, I just want to share a letter that he wrote to God, a prayer that he wrote to God. He wrote this. Jesus, I thank you for standing at the door of my life. Thank you for wanting to come in, to be my friend and be my savior. I want to open that door and let you in but I'm not sure how. I desperately need your forgiveness for my life of sin. I want to follow you and to live my life for you and through you. Now that is fixing our eyes on Jesus, understanding that we are great sinners, as I said, but God is a great God and we need him. That's the only thing in life is Christ and everything else needs to be secondary. Now how about you this morning? Every, I would say 99.9% .9 of you know me. I've been here probably forever, and, and you, you know my life. You know I'm not perfect. But maybe there's someone who came in here today you've never been here before. Maybe what I'm saying is foreign to you. Maybe you, you don't understand it. But I pray God would open your heart to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, these other two points are a little quicker than the other one. Secondly, relying on God, saying, I trust in God. I rely on God is so easy to do. I just said it. But actions really are more than words. And we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down to the statue. They stood there. My mother-in-law and my wife went down to Virginia, and they recently heard a sermon. And they've been speaking about it, and it stuck in, inside of me, and I can't get rid of it. And it really applies to this. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three friends. They all love God. And they're all standing there united together, and that needs to be the picture of us. Standing in faith for Jesus Christ together and not bowing to the world. And that's what they're doing. So young people, and that was the message about being, having friends. Having friends that love God and standing together with him and for him. And that's what we need to do. And that's why I love coming here, because when we come to church, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And he loves us and we know it. We probably wouldn't know each other for anything outside in the world. But we all come in together and we have a bond. It is Christ. It is his Holy Spirit who lives through us and he loves us. Do you know they could have had tons of excuses? They could have had tons of excuses not to bow down or to bow down, sorry, to the statue. 
oh, you know what? It's just a one-time thing. What's the big deal? We'll bow down. We really won't do any. We'll just get back up, and nobody will know the difference. You know, God made the king have absolute power, so he would really want us to follow the king. You know, how many excuses do we have for not following God when we should follow God? So many different excuses. How about we're not hurting anybody? And I have to think to myself, what are the excuses that I have when I know, when I know I'm not doing the right thing? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, go ahead, God. Go ahead and throw us in the furnace. But as I said earlier, for all of us, that's not a one, it's just not a one-time thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't wake up in the morning and just say, okay, we're going to refuse to bow. They didn't eat the king's food. They prayed for the interpretation of the dream. They were there when the other guys were saved. Their whole lives are saturated with God, and our whole lives need to be saturated with God. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Their whole lives. Now, I know I've, I've, I've asked you to do a lot of things, but just listen to me for a second. If you or somebody you know, if you or somebody you know is going through a difficult time, a trial, a fiery trial, raise your hand. Good. Do you know what that means? That means that we're just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that means that we need God, and we need him. We need him to help us. So I want you to take some notes. You don't have to write down the whole verses, but just maybe jot down where they are. Joshua 1, 7 to 9. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to, from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. I have, not have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he's with you, and he's with me on a daily basis, every minute, every second, every hour. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died for you on the cross, that he was buried and rose again on the third day, that he's alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, and his spirit lives inside of you, he is with you always, anytime, everywhere, and he wants your faith to be strong. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass, sorry, I'm going fast with the verses. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Isaiah 43, 2, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew, even if they burned in the fire, they still had hope. They were going to be with their God. 
So it didn't matter whether their physical body here died at all. Real quick, Pastor Musser stood here about 20 years ago and told us about the Willises. Pastor Willis was driving with his five kids in the car and it hit a metal box. And five of the children in the back of the car died. Four of them instantly, I think, and, and one later in the hospital. And I'm sorry to tell you that this morning to, to um, give you, you know, such a sad story, but there's such great hope even in trials like that, even when things like that happen. See, when the husband and the wife were standing on the side of the road, they started to, to tell their favorite verse to each other just to have strength, even to make it through that trial. And it says, it's Psalm 34, 1 to 4. And the first verse is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me out of all my fears. That's what they stood on when their kids were killed in that car accident. About two months ago, Linda and I were watching America's Got Talent. You know, with a big bowl of popcorn, and we're just sitting and can't wait to see what happens. It's one of the things we watch. I don't know, but it's just fun. So we're watching it, and all of a sudden, this family comes out, and they look like from the sound of music. I mean, it was 12 of them. They were good-looking, happy, and they all came out, and they had the guitars, and they were singing. It was a lot of fun. But something struck me when they did the backstory, and you could see them in the back, because the camera goes in the back, and sometimes you see people back there like, you know, or like, oh, I'm so nervous. This family was just loving on each other. They were, and I just knew right away something was different about them. Then I had seen something on Facebook, and then I read an article. These children, these 12 children, are the children of one of, of the children of the pastor that hit that box and his kids were killed. He had eight kids, not five. And this young man was not in the car at the time. And they spoke about their faith. They spoke about how hard it was, but that they loved the Lord. And it gave me such hope. They didn't crumble. They didn't die. They lived their lives for God, even though this tragedy had happened. So for me, it was a great hope. And for me to see it on TV, where we watch such junk and garbage, this was a wonderful thing. Thirdly, and lastly, I promise, glorifying God. So we're looking to God, we're relying on God, and we're glorifying God. You see, the king kept praising God. You're a great God, but he never really got God into his heart. You're wonderful, God. You're a wonderful small G. Not a big G, but a small G. See, recently, maybe about a year ago, I was with a, in a doctor's office with my, my daughter, and the doc, we sat down, and the doctor was talking to us, and I just glanced up at the wall, and there was a picture of Jesus. I thought, wow, this is great. And then I went this way, and there was Buddha staring at me. I almost go like, he's never dressed, so I'm like going like this. So Buddha's staring at me, and then there's something, a water fountain over here with something else, spiritual. And then something else, and me, I almost felt like saying, let's get out of here now. Um, but I didn't do that, and we hung around for a little while. Um, but it was a picture to me that many people don't just believe in God, our God, in Jesus Christ. They believe in everything. And you probably have friends like that and have family members like that and see that. But to glorify God, God will not have us glorify anything else. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. That's why they didn't bow down. Because they knew they were not supposed to worship idols. 
And they followed that. They knew their Bible. They knew Scripture. They knew God. And they were not going to bow down for anything. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, an amazing thing happened. In chapter 4, Daniel comes to him because the king has another dream. And this dream is worse than any of the other dreams. And Daniel tells him, you're going to be insane for like seven years. He tells him the whole dream. But don't be worried, king, kind of a thing. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and trying to go quick. But he basically says that to him. So the king goes about his way. We do that. You go about your way. You live your life. You just go about your way. And King Nebuchadnezzar heard what Daniel said, but he went about his way. And one day he's standing on his balcony and he's looking out and he says, wow, look at Babylon. I created Babylon. And instantly he went insane. He went insane so much that he walked around the woods and he crawled like a cow eating grass. And then in seven years when God said it would happen, his insanity was gone. And he was restored to his former glory. God is doing all of this and brings King, King Nebuchadnezzar back to way he, where he was. Amazingly. Now, this is what he says. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will. In the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand. He's no longer saying, what God will deliver you out of my hand. He's now truly praising God, and I say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor was restored to me. For the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out, so I was restored to my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. And this is what he ends with. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who are proud. Amen. He is able. He is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the world. He is sovereign over my life and over your life. And if you're here this morning and you might think that's not true, it doesn't matter. Even if you think he's not sovereign, he's not Lord, he's not king, he is. Whether you say it or not. And I had read that prayer before about that young man who had come into our lives. And I just want, at the end here, I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you have not ever accepted Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, as your Savior, you can. And I'll go through a prayer as we close. But you know what? It's a personal thing. You don't have to do it because I'm saying do it. I'd rather you not. Somebody gave me the gospel when I was about 15. I didn't accept Jesus Christ until I was in my 20s. I wish I would have done it when I was 15. But God's timing is God's timing. So I'm just going to close with um, some verses, and then I'm going to go through the prayer, and then we'll be done. 
This is sort of like a break. This is why you put the tabs in your Bible. And my hands are, you know, sweaty and it's not working. You didn't know we were going to have small talk, did you? <laughs> oh, okay. Come on. Now, to understand when you do this, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a personal thing between you and God. Nothing to do with anybody else. Not your father, not your mother, not your aunt, not your uncle, not your boss. Nobody. It's understanding that you're a sinner, that you fall short of God's glory, and that you need a great Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sins. And he's done that. He's died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for you. And the Bible says, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are raised, that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. All scripture tells us anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, and I pray that he has saved you from the fires of hell, from Satan, and from the devil. Let's pray. And if you're here this morning and you've known God, you've known Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and maybe you're feeling that you just haven't been standing for him, that you've bowed to the world, you can also take a moment and confess that sin to God and ask him to forgive you and ask him to give you strength and ask him to be bold, not to be ashamed of the gospel. So this morning I will pray this prayer. If you pray it, the only thing I ask you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to stand up. But what I would ask is that you would tell somebody, that you would share it with somebody, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The young man I spoke about before, the first thing he did was go into the other room and tell the people who were there, and then he told his mom who doesn't know about God. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me. And change me, that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.